and welcome to Feed That Nation. My name is Natalie Nation, and on this podcast, I talk all about college life, college health, and college wellness. My goal is to help you, my fellow college students, to be more successful, more confident, and more healthy in your student journey. I'm a graduate student, I'm a future registered dietitian, I'm a health educator, a content creator, and a mac and cheese expert. And today I have with me my friend John, my mom friend, and we are going to be talking about college safety tips. So before we get into that, though, I want to first tell you, if you're not already, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're currently listening on, go follow me on Instagram, I am at FeedThatNation. Also, definitely go check out my affiliate partner, Coconut Whisk. They are a vegan, allergy-friendly, gluten-free baking mix company. I just ordered their confetti mug cake, and I cannot wait to try it. I really want you guys to try it, too. I'm so excited about it. And if you go ahead and click the link in the description and use my coupon code, FeedThatNation, you get a discount on your order, and I receive a small commission, so everybody wins in this scenario. Go check out Coconut Whisk. So as I said, I have my friend John here, and John is, to be completely honest, John is my mom friend, and so (laughs) I wanted to bring him on here today to talk about college safety tips because... He's very wise and knowledgeable about what it means to be safe and comfortable and healthy as a college student. And so before we get into that, though, John, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell my audience who you are, where you go to school, and anything else you think you want them to know. Yeah, so, hi, I'm John Broshk. Um, I'm just finishing up my education at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. I'm studying music education, so I've been student teaching this past semester, which has been quite the adventure through the pandemic, that's for sure. But it's been such a wonderful experience finally being able to connect with students and just doing what I love to do. It's been nothing but a blast. Yeah, there's really not much more to me besides that. I'm, like you said, a mom friend for sure. I'm really just comfortable with who I am, what I do, and I'm definitely, like, you're an expert in mac and cheese, I'm an expert of Pokemon. Um, I even have a little, little deli bird plushie, if you want to look that up, just one of the cutest Pokemon ever. I will pop a picture on the screen right here of the deli bird, because it's really cute. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, John, let's talk first about what does it mean to you to be a mom friend? I feel like being a mom friend is not what some people assume because some people, when they think of mom friend, they kind of think, oh, the person that kind of not only takes care of everyone, but makes sure that they're, they're staying in their lane and making sure that they're not doing anything too dangerous or, and sometimes that might even be interpreted as kind of like a buzzkill, which is not it at all because... You can have fun, but you can also be safe about it. Funny enough, I was actually trying to describe to my therapist what it means to be a mom friend, and she had never heard the term before, so... And I sort of described it to her as when you prioritize your safety or the safety of others over the experience of having a great time. Right. And it doesn't have to be all the time, because there are certainly a lot of ways that you can have an awesome time, have a blast, and be safe about it, Mm -hmm. but... I think the mom friend kind of is like maybe the big sister or the big brother friend where you're also just kind of making sure everybody's good, making sure everybody's accounted for. Right. So, John, you are or were an RA for several years at your university, and so you've done a lot of training, obviously, Mm -hmm. in 
student safety policies on campus and things like that. And you've obviously met and worked with hundreds of students at this point. (laughs) So what can you tell me about what do college students do a great job of in terms of taking care of themselves and being safe that you've noticed? One of the things that I think that people do great is when it gets to be too much or they really have no idea what to do, they, they have the confidence to reach out. My only issue with that is sometimes they wait just a little bit too long. Whereas if this, this had been approached just a little bit earlier, it would have been much more manageable, easier to kind of wrap up and help and make sure everyone's okay and everything like that. And I, I think the biggest thing with that is just people, some like, I, I totally get it. Like, it's, it's more of like a fear thing. Like, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want, you know, all this kind of stuff to happen. But in my experience as an RA, knowing a bunch of different hall directors, your safety is what we care about the most. Your safety, your happiness, and your success as a student. We can work through any negative that happens or any policy breaks or anything that can be worked on mistakes happen and that's more than okay that's how we learn but yeah it just it just comes down to talk sooner but at the very least like i said in times of crisis people are pretty good about reaching out and making sure it doesn't just kind of fall through the cracks and just get lost in the sauce To contrast that, what have you noticed, aside from maybe waiting a little bit too long to speak up, ask for help, what have you noticed that college students are not as good at in terms of taking care of themselves and being safe? Yeah, I think one of those things is not using the resources that are available to them, such as informational learning about college life and all that kind of stuff. Because as RAs, we make bulletin boards, we have pamphlets available, we make programming like events that you guys can come to to learn about all these different aspects because I've even made a bulletin board about how to safely consume alcohol. Obviously there's a caveat of don't do this if you're not 21, but it's college. I cannot judge anyone for making the choices they make. Using these resources would already provide you with an ability to be safer about your choices because you have a greater understanding of how alcohol might affect your body or how much constitutes one drink. I know I'm kind of focusing on the alcohol side of things, but that's typically one of the more uncommon things for a student coming into college having knowledge about, if that makes sense. They're not as wise on knowing like, oh, how much of this particular substance count as one drink, so. Mm-hmm. And how many drinks can I yep. have before I can't safely drive or yep. walk myself home or make positive decisions? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love to say positive decisions and negative decisions rather than good or bad, just because good and bad is very relative in black and white, but thinking about something that is more positive or more negative on more of a spectrum. So that's how I like to think of it. So when it comes to safety and college, I sort of thought about what are the main categories of safety for college students? And I broke it down into five different categories. So we're going to kind of talk about our biggest safety tips in each of those categories 
and we're going to go back and forth about why, and we're going to talk about maybe some story times about when one of us or the other wasn't necessarily making positive decisions. Uh, we are here for you. We are your mom friends. We want you to be safe, but we also want you to know that neither of us are perfect people. I mean, if you watched my video from several months ago, I talk about the stupidest things I did as a college student, and there were definitely um, some interesting ones in there. So, and you're n you're not a perfect mm -hmm. person either. You've made some interesting choices in your life. Right. So, <laughs> we're gonna get into that. And my first category for college safety tips is talking about safety when it comes to your personal information and kind of your personal belongings, surroundings, property, and sort of safety of you as a human. In terms of that category, what immediately comes to your mind in terms of keeping yourself safe? So the thing that I think about with personal safety is accounts and social media and all these kinds of things that we're connected with online. Banks, and like I said, social media, um, email. entertainment, email, all that kind of stuff. It is so shockingly easy actually how your accounts can get compromised and the thing that I always do especially for my most um, important things like my personal email my business email my bank is I have the two-factor authentication where it either sends a text or a notification to my phone and I have to interact with that in some way for it to let me in the account for sure and I would add on to that, I would consider any account that you make where you give any sort of personal information, your address, your phone number. Email can be personal or not, depending on whether or not you use a throwaway email, especially any kind of financial information like the last four of your social or your credit card number. Those should absolutely be passwords that are more complicated than 123 password. Yes. It's definitely worth having multiple iterations of different passwords and making sure that you're not using very obvious words. Maybe you're not using your name or the name of the website that mm -hmm. you're making the password for. Especially, especially if you have credit card information on that website, so Amazon or Target or anywhere else you shop, you do not want that card information saved on that website and you do not want that password to be something easy to hack. Yeah, and something that can even help with that is Something that's kind of starting to become a thing is not password, but passphrase. So it, it might be a bit longer to type, a bit more complicated, but it's safer. You know, like someone typing out, the quick brown fox jumps over the moon, like that kind of thing. That, And if you change out some characters for like the dollar sign or a zero or anything like that, that'll make it much more difficult to try and get through. For sure. I think my biggest college safety tip kind of goes along with what you were saying about privacy and protecting your personal information, but I would take that a step further and say that you want to be very careful about the information you put online about your school, your mm -hmm. workplace, your home address, or the address that you're currently living at, such as a dorm. Your car is another one. I know so many people who have multiple pictures of their car online, and you do you, but also if those photos include the make, and model of your car or the license plate, all of those things are things that potentially people could use to identify you, to find your car and follow you home. I know that sounds really scary, but it does happen. <laughs> and don't tell people where you live. Don't take pictures of your house with your house number and put those online. Be very careful about the physical location that you are in 
and make sure to keep that protected. And something I really recommend for this, and I this this is more applicable to me in the sense that I need to keep my life private as a teacher. But I think everyone could benefit from if they're not being, say, a content creator or they don't have dedicated places to put their stuff so they have that public on their own personal pages, set everything you post so that only your friends can see it. Just because that way no one can... I know it's popular to stalk people. Like, I get that. I've done it. But that way, less of your information is out there. So there's less for people to try and figure out and be able to piece all of these kinds of information together to, you know, find all these things out about you. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, as a content creator, even a micro content creator, as I think I would call myself in my audience at this point, I'm very careful and thoughtful about what I reveal to you guys about where I live. You notice I usually put Minneapolis as my location on mm -hmm. Instagram. You guys don't actually know the city I live in for a very good reason. I don't have pictures of my car or my house that you can really tell where I am for a very specific reason. And that reason is that as a young female, like I am, I'm more vulnerable to people who are creepy and stalkerish. And not to say you are any less vulnerable, but certainly there is a... Mm -hmm unfortunately high number of people out there who would be very interested in knowing exactly where I live and exactly where I work and exactly what my car looks like. And so I'm really thoughtful about that. What other sort of personal information safety kind of tips do you think you have? Especially for college life, your rooms are fairly secure, but you should never rule out the possibility that something might get taken from your room. So I had things such as my medical card, some emergency cash in case I needed it, and I think I even had my passport because being from South Africa, sometimes certain offices don't communicate very well. It's like, here, you need to prove that you're, you know, you're allowed to be here. And, you know, being a citizen for forever, it's like, oh, come on, can we get over this? Anyway, have a safety lockbox that you can lock I know some um, buildings, because all of the buildings had different furniture and stuff like that, but they had drawers that you could actually padlock shut, and you would have to open that. And I did that, plus have a safety lockbox, because those documents are too important to even risk any kind of potential taking, because... If that gets taken and you get into a medical emergency and like, sure, it will, would get worked out in the end, but it is far less of a headache if you have that ready to go. And same thing, like if you have documents as important as a passport. So just out of sight, locked away. And I will add to that. And this is actually kind of getting into another category, which is your dwelling, your residence, but lock your door. When you leave, lock your door. If you're in your apartment or your dorm by yourself, or if you're just, if it's at night, or if you know that the place you're living is not secure, you know, there could be people from the street who just walk in, keep your door locked. So one of my last tips in terms of your personal safety, your safety of you and your information as a college student is you need to always carry your identification and your health insurance card, if you have one, with you at all times. And I know John just said you should keep that information in the lockbox. Well, you should have your card with you in your wallet or in your purse and have a copy of that information, a color copy, full size, whatever, 
in your lockbox. And same with like your driver's license, because if you lose your driver's license, it's a hassle you can get it replaced, but it's a lot easier to do so if you have a bunch of personal copies of your information mm -hmm. in a lockbox. You can walk in and say, look, this is my passport. This is a copy of the driver's license I lost. This is a copy of my birth certificate, whatever you need. And so I would definitely say, even if you're just going to class, even if you're just walking to the grocery store, have your ID on you and have your health insurance card on you. And obviously, worst case scenario, you know, you could be walking to class and get hit by a car. If you have your health insurance card and your identification on you, it will be much easier for the people with you or the first responders to figure out who you are so that they can call your family or friends for help and so that they can get you health care as quickly as possible. And so I would say that's my probably my final big tip for mm -hmm. personal safety. I would agree 100% on that. You said that all perfectly and there's really nothing to add on to that. Thank you. So second category, I want to talk about more specifically where you live and your safety in your home. And when I say home, I don't mean necessarily a house. This is wherever you happen to sleep at night or live. So it could be your dorm or your apartment on or off campus. It could be your parents' house. It could be your boyfriend or your partner or your girlfriend's house. This is safety in terms of where you keep most of your stuff, where you sleep at night, where you spend most of your time. So you go first. What is your biggest safety tip for house home safety? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind. So at Eau Claire, we have some older buildings. And the newer ones, you get into your room by touching your ID to the thing. It beep beep lets you in, tied only to you. But the older ones have kind of like a punch code door. Because I know some... I've actually visited the, the University of Minnesota and like my friend had an actual physical key to his room. Can't really give that out to people. But if you have a punch code door, you can just say, hey, this is my code. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. And granted, I, I assessed the risk with that because it was my partner. It was my boyfriend at the time. And I knew... He isn't the type of person that would get up to any weird stuff. If we broke up, he wouldn't use that as leverage or malice. And yes, it can be changed, but it's a huge bother. Because I actually had a situation where a resident gave it out to like so many people because they'd party a lot in the room, which was super annoying. But he's like, oh, I actually want my, my, my door changed because all these people know it. And we're like, I mean, okay, yeah, we'll do it, but we have to charge you for one. And you have to understand that this is, like, no offense, this is your fault. <laughs> like, you, you caused this to happen. The, the reason why it's so important that you don't give it out is because you don't know where that code is going to go. You don't know always what's going to happen to that, where it's going to go, who's going to have it, who might enter your room when you're not there, or potentially even worse, when you are there. Don't do it. That's really all I can say. Don't give out access to your room. Unless, you know, like in my situation, I was fully confident that nothing bad was going to happen. Mm -hmm. I think that's an excellent safety tip. And I would also say that if you're living in a communal living situation, so maybe you're in an apartment with roommates, maybe you're in a dorm or a hallway with other students, or even if you're off campus and in an apartment building... It is as much your responsibility to protect the safety of the people in your building as it is to protect the safety of yourself 
And that kind of goes along with this. And I know a lot of dorms have signs like, don't let people shadow you into the building. Mm-hmm. You know, don't give out your key. Don't, you know, just buzz people in that you don't know. But it's very true because, again, going back to me being a woman, there are plenty of women and, you know, non-binary and men even who have partners, unlike John's partner at the time, who you really can't trust, who maybe have been told to get lost and aren't listening. And you don't want those people in your building. You don't want to let any person into the building where you live unless you personally know them. And a lot of times in dorms, you actually have to escort this person everywhere they go. I was a resident in a dorm. I was an RA at one point. I have multiple videos about how that wasn't a great choice for my mental health, but not the point of this video. It's really irritating to have to escort someone Mm -hmm. everywhere, especially if they live in the building next door to yours or if they're here five times a week. But... The reason that these rules exist are because at one point they didn't exist and people were in danger and people got hurt. And I hate saying that these rules are written in blood, but they're written for really, really good reasons. And I know they're annoying and as college students, it's a pain in the butt to have to listen to your RA, but they are important. And something I'd even just forgotten about because I've actually lived alone for the past couple years is if you live with a roommate, Unless you've quintuple checked that it's okay to give out that information, you do not have a right to give it out because it is not just your space, it is their space as well. And that could be worth having a conversation with your roommate or housemates or dorm mates. You know, I have a partner that I would really like to give a key to. Is that okay with you? Or, hey, my boyfriend is coming over. I won't be there. He'll get there a little early. Do you mind letting him in or should I tell him to wait? Be careful. Be sensitive. Be smart. Basically. Most of these rules are going (laughs) to be boiled down to that. And they're not really rules. We're your mom friends, but we're not actually your moms. So these are more guidelines because Mm -hmm. we love you and care about you and we want you to be safe. And perhaps these are mistakes that we've made, that we know now that if our friends or people we cared about made these mistakes, it would make us very upset. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, In terms of more dorm, apartment, home safety, I would also say be cautious when you are on social media. And this is kind of going back to like, don't take pictures of where you live and post them online, but also don't take pictures or post information that lets the general public or your friends or friends of friends or whoever know that you are either not going to be in your home, your home Mm -hmm. is going to be unoccupied for a significant length of time, or that you are going to be home alone for a significant length of time. This is honestly theft prevention and um, other crime prevention because (laughs) any person who's thinking, oh, I'm going to break into this house, They don't want to break into a house with people in it, but if they know, hey, you're gone all weekend because you posted on social media about it, they're going to take that as an invitation. Unfortunately. This is very unfortunate. I would say definitely be careful about the status of your home, Mm -hmm. especially if you live alone, but even if you live with roommates, encourage them to be careful as well. And I, I think something to add to that as well is like this like can extend even to your car as well. If you live on the ground floor like I did, now I live on the 10th floor, it's pretty cool. People can probably see into your window if you have it open. So if you leave, maybe get into the habit of closing it. But if you don't want to do that, say you have plants or, you know, just whatever reason you don't want to close it, I won't judge. 
make sure your things are set up at least in a way so that they can't see like, oh, like, that's a whole lot of jewelry you got there. Or, oh, wow, like, look at all that cool computer stuff or all that, you know, all your consoles. Like, you don't want that to be in plain sight because then that makes you a target. So the next category I have on my list is related to transportation. Specifically, I have a lot of tips about what if you are a car owner or a car user as a college student, but we also have some good tips in terms of walking, biking, using public transit. And so I wanted to start with saying that if you drive a car, don't do the thing where you get into your car and then play on your phone for 15 minutes before driving away. Not only is this really irritating because parking is premium on college campuses, but this can put you at risk to be stolen from or assaulted. And because, I mean, the biggest reason for that is if you're sitting in your car and you haven't locked the doors, or even Mm -hmm. if you have, you're not paying attention to what's around you. People could walk up and break your window or open your door. And that's a really scary thought. And I do not want that to happen to you. My thing is, especially at night, but I've gotten into the habit of also doing this during the day, I go to my car, I get into it, I lock the door, and then I put the keys in the ignition, and then I drive away as soon as I possibly can. I'll even go as far as before I start the walk to my car, I'll pull up the Google Maps and put in the destination so that as soon as I'm in the car, Mm -hmm. I can hit start directions and drive away. Yeah, um... I'm lucky enough, I have a bit of a newer car in the sense that I have a remote start option because one of the biggest reasons why you would wait so long is, oh, I'm cold. I'm going to wait for my car to warm up. Totally fine. Obviously, you have a remote start. That makes it a bit easier. However, not everyone has that. So, I understand... It's cold and maybe you don't want to bundle up with everything you got just because, oh, I'm just driving to, like, maybe even just a store that's, like, five minutes away. It's worth it for your personal safety to just be able to get in your car and go. It might be cold, I know. Gloves, hat, everything. Even masks keep me warm. Like, I know some people are like, oh, you don't have to wear your mask in the car. You know that, right? Well, it's like, well, now it's winter. It keeps me warm. (laughs) Exactly. I think another big tip for any car owners, car drivers out there is to keep your car clean Mm -hmm. and lock your doors. And the reason I say this is because car theft and carjacking is actually a really common crime problem on a lot of college campuses, but not all car thieves you know, they don't hotwire your car. You know, mm-hmm. they don't get under it and spark two things until the engine revs. It's not like a movie. A lot of times what they'll do is they will walk around a parking lot or a parking garage and pull on door handles until they find one that opens. Mm-hmm. And best case scenario, the car is empty and they might take, I don't know, your phone charger or whatever. Worst case scenario, you've left your keys sitting in the car or you've left your wallet or your expensive camera or your computer or your textbooks, and all of that can get stolen, or they could drive away with your car. And so a clean car is a lot less of a target because if there's nothing in it, why would someone break into it? I think something that gets me is, kind of like I was saying, like a clean, empty car is a less of a target, 
but also there are plenty of people who don't really want to bring in all of that expensive like if you went shopping and you're like oh i don't really feel like carrying in all of my groceries right now or i going from class to target to home and i don't really want to bring my backpack with my laptop in it into the store but in reality like in most cases the safest place for expensive personal belongings in situations like that are either on your physical person or in the trunk of the car. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not saying all of this to scare you into thinking that right. every single person you see in an empty parking lot at night is out to get you, but caution is worth it. Be smart. Mm -hmm. Be safe. It's, it's much... I personally find it easier and safer to start with a higher level of caution and then be able to relax down because then you're prepared, you're ready. Whereas if you're not prepared and ready and you run into a situation where you have to be like, oh no, then that's when you start to make more rash decisions, less thought about decisions, and basically just panicked overall. For sure. This next tip I have is kind of a little bit more upper Midwest specific, you might say, but you are not as good of a winter driver as you think you are. I do not care who you are or how long you have been driving. Winter driving is completely unpredictable and can be really unsafe. And I'm not saying college students are idiots because we're really smart people, but we tend to be a little bit overconfident when it comes to winter driving. And so a couple of tips here kind of related to this category of don't be an idiot in the snow is you need your car needs to have a winter emergency kit and ideally that kit will include basic first aid kit you know band-aids maybe some ibuprofen snacks like protein bars water you should definitely have hand warmers and a blanket mm -hmm. and then you should never go anywhere in the winter without your ice scraper and your miniature shovel to yep. dig yourself out because Snow happens, mm -hmm. ice happens, and it is not at all safe to drive if your windows are iced over. And I see drivers do this all the time where they'll clear off their front window and then they'll go. But their side windows and their back <laughs> are covered in ice. And that is so <laughs> ridiculously unsafe. And yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. And I'm definitely victim to that, especially if I'm getting up. I'm like, oh no, I don't have a lot of time to get to school. I'll just get what I need. And I know that's not good. But sometimes I do it anyway. So like we said, I'm not perfect. We're both not perfect. We do our best all that we can. <laughs> For sure. To go along with winter driving safety, I would also say that no matter if it's snow, if it's a thunderstorm, if it's really late at night, if there's anything at all that could compromise your ability to drive safely, make sure that you text someone before you leave and tell them where you are leaving from mm -hmm. and where you are going. And this person doesn't necessarily have to be waiting for you at home. It doesn't necessarily have to be a roommate or a family member, but it's better if it is because then if you don't get home when you've said you will get home, they can worry about you and they right. can maybe panic about you a little bit. And that's a good thing. And honestly, I like definitely mom friend some of my coworkers a couple weeks ago because it was really snowy. It was really bad. A bunch of us were leaving work at night. The roads were gross. Visibility was gross. And I made every single one of them tell me, do you have someone waiting for you at home? 
text them before you leave. And the coworkers that didn't have somebody waiting for them at home, I made them give me their number and I made them text me to tell me that they got home safely. Yeah, and that even just reminds me, I'm currently at home, so I'm with my parents and I forgot to tell my mom that I got here. So I'm going to do that right now. Nice. Tell your mom I say hi. When it comes to, I guess I talked about the winter emergency kit, I also want to mention that it's a good idea for your car to have a tire pressure gauge and or jumper cables. Yes. And maybe even to have some quarters for um, the air pumps at gas Mm -hmm. stations. A lot of them up here in Minnesota are free, but I know in the South that's pretty unusual, so... I would also say fire extinguisher. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. I don't have one of those in my car, actually. Mm. I have a teeny tiny baby one. Oh, cute. Also, another thing, especially if you're in a place where it's snowy or icy, I know sometimes it's weird to have a big jug with you, but keep your wiper fluid with you, especially if it's antifreeze. Mine kind of just, it's its on the floor in the back seats, so it kind of, you know, kind of <laughs> just goes everywhere. But... You don't want to be driving in a blizzard and run out of that stuff. Or if it's ice rain, because then you're like, (laughs) I'm sorry, but you're just kind of screwed then. (sighs) There's so many more things I could say when it comes to car safety. Most of them involve don't don't drive like an idiot. Yep. But all variations of that. So I don't care if you drink. I don't care if you smoke marijuana. I don't care Mm -hmm. if you do drugs, if you use controlled or illegal substances. Your body, your choices, my ethics and morals do not apply to you until you get behind the wheel of a car. Mm -hmm. That absolutely becomes my business because not only are you putting yourself in danger, you are putting me in danger. And I'm going to pull that card because I really don't want to get hit by a car because some college student decided that they could drink and drive or decided that they could smoke marijuana and drive Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so... Yeah, that's all I have to say on the subject. Yeah. Don't do it. Just flat out, do not do any kind of substance that could impair your ability to make decisions and then drive. Do not. I would 100% agree. It's, it's just, there. there's no point in time where that becomes acceptable. Just because the amount of damage you can do, excuse me, to someone else's life is too great it's not there's there's nothing i believe that could justify you getting behind the wheel while under the influence i would also say that if it involves using your phone for something other than directions if you are driving you should not be doing it Mm -hmm. there are a lot of states that have laws hands-free laws that say you can't even hold your phone while you are driving Mm -hmm. those laws are in place again these laws are written in blood These laws are written because people have died. Multiple people have died. And we as college students, again, we tend to get very overconfident. You know, first it's directions and then someone texts and you see the banner and you glance at it to see what they said. And then it's, oh, I'm getting a phone call. Well, I can talk on the phone and drive. And then it becomes responding to a text and you just get more and more overly confident because you keep doing it and nothing bad happens. Well, just because nothing bad has happened yet does not mean it will not. Right. And I, you guys can tell I'm so passionate about this. You should not be texting and driving. Absolutely. At all. 
And actually, in high school, when I would drive around with my brother, he would usually be the one driving, and if he got a text, I would not let him touch his phone. If he wanted to respond to that text, I would ask him what he wanted to say, I would type it in, and I would send it from the passenger mm -hmm. seat. And y'all can call that controlling, but we didn't get into a crash, so mm -hmm. there you go. Yep, and I, on my longer drives, I typically do call a friend. However, that does not mean that I don't focus on my driving, if that makes sense. I have priorities when I'm driving, and number one when you're driving should be driving. You can always have a conversation with someone over the phone. Mine's through my speakers because it connects through that, so I don't have to hold it or do anything weird like that. So that hands-free law. But since my choices could affect another person, that's why I have to be focused on my driving. And I've multiple times I've been talking and we've been having a conversation, and I'll say, wait, because I have to focus on whatever situation's happening. And I'll say, okay, sorry, I'm back. So-and-so happened. And I'm going to be honest. If you your friend is, like, upset about that, they're a terrible friend. <laughs> Basically. And you guys know that there have been a couple of times where I've vlogged and dri driven. And I'm here to tell you that before I put the car in drive, I start the camera. And I do not touch the phone again until I am in park at my destination. Even if that means I talk for five minutes... And then have 15 minutes of empty, like, B-roll that I have to delete later. Like, I do not touch my phone while I'm driving, if at all possible. No. For a good reason. And I've done what you've done, like, had conversations with people on the phone while driving. But I have my phone on the little, like, holder thing mm -hmm. or on the seat next to me. I don't yep. touch it. Oh, yeah. Because that's not safe. Yep. And I, I would agree with, um, if you need to do something and you have a passenger... Let them do it. And I get it if you need a, a private, it's a privacy thing. Like, I won't judge you for that. But that doesn't justify you doing it yourself while you're driving. So, mm. feel, You feeling good about transportation safety? I feel like we should move on from car and yeah, touch on yeah. other stuff. And yeah. then we can move on to the rest. Yeah. So, I one thing I thought about right away is I actually only got my driver's license and a car this past August. So, 2020. And, like, this year I'm turning 24, so pretty late in the game. And that meant that I had to use a lot of public transit and even just walking everywhere. Because Eau Claire is not the biggest place. You can kind of basically walk anywhere you want. I didn't always do this, but I almost always had my big purple uh, overhead headphones, wireless, listening to music. As a straight-presenting white male, I kind of can get away with that a lot easier. However, even as that, that can be dangerous because you don't know if excuse me, you don't know if a car is behind you and zoom in, you know, out of control, about to hit you. You won't hear that, especially because mine were noise canceling. So I would recommend one ear out earbuds one ear out just so you can be aware of your surroundings and this applies like if you're walking somewhere if you're you know just on a run you should be aware of your surroundings but i know how easy it's just i'm gonna zone out the world and i'm gonna go and 
it, it doesn't even have to extend to just cars. It's it's like if you're on a pass, someone might be following you or someone might be, they might target you for something. You might not hear a bicyclist say on your left. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would add to that and say that if you are walking anywhere, you should be wearing good walking shoes and be wearing weather appropriate clothing. Yes. And this is not only so that if there's something bad, you can run away, but also like, I really don't want you to get hypothermia. Or, you know, I don't want you to get, you know, if you're walking somewhere in the summer, I don't want you to get heat stroke or heat exhaustion. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's something a lot of college students don't think about because you dress for where you're going, but you don't dress for how you're going to get there. Yeah. That especially applies to stuff like going to parties, especially up here where it's cold. I will see people go out in literally just their dress or their outfit when it's already 20 degrees at like 5 p.m. and it's only going to get colder. And it's like, I get it. You're if Especially if you're going to a party where you don't know the people and you wouldn't feel comfortable putting your coat there or leaving it somewhere. But whenever alcohol gets into the mix and it's cold, the rate of bad things happening are much higher. And I get it. I do. But we it, all want to look cute when we're going to parties. We all have those moments when yep. you're wearing the perfect outfit and you do not want to ruin it by putting on your winter boots. Like, yep. we get it. We like looking good. But. Yep. And and that was, like, for me, my, my own personal experiences when I was over 21 and went to parties. I I really only went to ones that were hosted by my friends because I didn't want to run into that situation because I <laughs> I'm one of those people that overthinks a lot of things has a plan for everything and all that and that was always one of my biggest worries like what happens if like something happens and like I need to be outside that way I could be prepared and know that I have a plan in place for sure while talking about parties do you want to move on to party and sex yeah. safety <laughs> Big importance. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, so I have thoughts on this, obviously, and you have thoughts on this, but I do want to preface by saying that we are both cis-presenting, we are both straight-presenting, we both are coming from places of privilege here, Mm -hmm. and I don't want whatever I say to come off as snooty, but I do sincerely believe what I am saying in terms of it will keep you safe. Mm-hmm. If you take these things into consideration. Right. And um, like she said, straight presenting, cis presenting. I am a cisgender gay man, which some, I've, I've actually had people tell me like, really? Like, are you sh-? like, yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so obviously any advice i give um i'll probably try to make it more lgbtqia plus oriented for this just because it's so important because many of us in the community only end up being able to live our teens in our 20s because that's where we're able to not only figure out ourselves but start to accept ourselves and finally explore what makes us happy for sure I think my biggest piece of party advice, well, I have a lot of them, but one of my biggest pieces of advice is you need to attend parties that are either hosted by people that you know and trust, or you need to attend the party with people that you know and trust. Mm -hmm. 
there is not really a great situation in which you attend a party alone that is hosted by somebody you do not know. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One of which is that if there are people you trust at this party, there are people who can look out for you. Because even if you don't plan on getting blackout drunk, and you know, if that is your decision, I want that for you. I want you to, you, you do you. But if you only plan on having a couple of drinks and someone slips something into your drink or you drink more than you're expecting, you know, jungle juice is a thing. Mm-hmm. You want people there who are going to see you and be that mom friend for you. And that can't really happen if you're at a party alone. You know, there might be a good Samaritan there, but there might not. Right. And this will, this is more of an LGBTQIA plus thing, but there needs to be a level of safety at these kinds of parties that you didn't think that you would need. Because I I hate to put it this way because we're all just people, but you are a more vulnerable person at these types of things. You are going to be more targeted for these reasons if something were to happen. And sometimes you might not even know it's happening because if you know you're you're in a really bad place with your mental health and you're you're just seeking that attention that you need in such of like a loving relationship kind of way, you might end up going home with someone that under normal circumstances you wouldn't. And I'm not saying this to judge anyone because I've found myself in that situation. It happens. It is okay if that happens. Luckily, in my case, it didn't end up being a situation where I got into any trouble or any kind of long-lasting, if any, repercussions. That might not be true for everyone. So you just need to be careful, and that's why it is so important to be there with someone that you can trust so that they can look after you. And I almost feel like, again, there's a negative con- connotation with look after you, but it, it's so true. We're, we're all human beings. We should be looking out for each other at all times, really. Definitely. And to expand on the trusted friend thing... And this is where I feel like a lot of people are going to be like, oh my god, like that's no fun. Like Mm -hmm. you're taking all the fun out of it. Well, hold your horses for a second because the most impactful piece of advice I have ever been given is about sex. And it was by um, a high school guidance counselor who said, if you are going to be sexual, you need to choose to be sexual and it needs to be an intentional choice. And that applies to drinking. It applies to smoking. It impl- it applies to drugs. If you are going to drink, that's okay. You can make that choice, but you need to be intentional about it. You need to think ahead of time, how drunk do I want to get tonight? Do I want to go home with somebody tonight that I did not go to the party with? Do I want to have sex tonight? If so, What kind of sex? And I'm not going to get into the gory details, but like, do I want to go all the way, in quotes, for people listening? Do I want to do things? What do I want to do? Do I want to do it with somebody I already know? Do I want to do it with a complete stranger? Like, these are things you need to think about. Because in thinking about it, not only can you prepare, for example, 
bringing condoms or other STI protection if you're going to have sex. But you can also let your friends that you're going to this party with know. You can say, hey, I want to get really drunk tonight, but I don't want to go home with somebody. And that way, if your friends see you leaving with somebody, they can be like, hey, that's not what she wanted. Yeah. And this is even from more of a legal side of things. But if you are not sober, you cannot consent. You cannot make the conscious choice to consent. And that is how it is viewed in a court of law. And I would add to that that if you are female or female presenting, it is incredibly unfortunate that like being drunk can be used to say that you wanted it while your you know, your predator, your assaulter, being drunk can be used to excuse it. And that is a really unfortunate reality. And that is another reason why we are saying yeah. you need to be careful and think about these things. Even if it means you're going to have a little bit less fun. Even if it means there's less spontaneity. Yeah. Because we're being the mom friends and saying that your safety is more important than you having fun right now. Yeah. Another kind of... This one doesn't really apply to safety as it's really just more of a respect thing. But if your friend is with you at a party and they want to stay sober, don't pressure them into anything. Don't make them feel bad. That is their choice. And for all you know, that choice could be because of some kind of addiction that they're trying to work through. Or it could just be because they want to look after their friends and they want to be able to do that in the best capacity that they can. So that's more just a respect people's choices as you would want people to respect yours. For sure. I think that the statement, I don't want to drink tonight, is a complete sentence. There should be no need for an explanation of I'm sober or mm -hmm. I'm on a medication and can't drink or I don't want to drink. Like, there is no explanation needed and... As much as your friends will support your choice to drink, you should be supportive of their choice not to drink. Mm -hmm. I think a piece of advice I have, and this is... I've been thinking a lot about this one because it does definitely come from a place of privilege, but if you cannot afford an Uber home, you need to think really, really hard about whether or not you should be drinking at this party. And if you can't afford STI protection or condoms, you should be thinking really, really hard about whether or not you should be having sex with somebody. And I understand not everybody is in a place where they can have the self-awareness or the ability to decide this for themselves. But if you can't afford an Uber home, what are you going to do if you drink too much and can't drive or can't walk home safely? Mm -hmm. You need to have a backup plan. And usually those backup plans are going to involve needing to spend a little money. You know, if you can't afford condoms or STI protection, it's going to be really hard for you to afford the health care you need mm. to get treated for an STI. It's going to be really hard for you to afford the health care it would need if you're somebody with a uterus and you get pregnant. And again, like, I don't want this to come off as privileged, but I need you to understand that, like, this is something we really want you to take seriously. Yeah, and because it, it always ends up being action consequence and usually when we talk about consequences it's always something negative but i'm saying this in more of a there is an action and there's a consequence there's always something that comes out of an action whether that's good bad or whatever 
you always have to consider the consequences of the actions you make. And that's, you know, your own personal safety, what you do at work, everything, literally everything. And you just always have to consider that. And once you have considered those things and you make the informed decision to have sex, to drink, to do drugs, great. Like, my morals aside, I want you to have the college experience mm-hmm. that you want. I just want you to be safe about it. Right. I think my final piece of party advice, and this kind of goes along with what you were saying earlier about respect, is respect the home that you are in. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no excuse for trashing the home of somebody who's chosen to throw a party. Even if every single other person is being an idiot and knocking over tables, don't be that guy. And... I would also say be very careful about what you bring to a party because a place that my husband was living a few years ago hosted a party and we were there. We just kind of like hid up in the attic and like talked and played board games and like avoided the party for the most part. But the next day someone had taken home my husband's dress shoes instead of their own shoes and we had to hunt down this person and figure out how we could meet them to do a shoe swap. And that was really frustrating and inconvenient for all of us. And so I would say, keep your stuff that you bring to a party with you. You know, if you're female presenting and even if you're not, like have a cute little like Mm -hmm. wrist clutch or a bag or have pockets, like keep your wallet with you, keep your identification with you, keep your car keys with you. Like be careful about that because kind of like what we were saying with the house stuff, like a house that has dozens if not hundreds of people going in and out is not a secure place (laughs) at all yeah the the final thing i wanted to talk about is we always i think i think it is actually covered in the same law the good samaritan law which is one of those things where for example if someone's in a car crash and You need to do CPR for them and you break their ribs to do successful CPR. You can't get sued or in trouble for that because you are directly helping that person. This applies to people if they're underage and you are calling emergency services because they won't wake up. They're vomiting. They're unresponsive. They're having some kind of reaction to anything including illegal drugs. If you call the police for help, you will not get in trouble. If Even if you're underage and you're under the influence, if you've consumed illegal substances, because at this point, it no longer becomes about that. It becomes about the safety of that individual. So you should never be afraid to call emergency services if something is happening that you need help with. Depending on the situation, it might be different. Maybe you'll get in a little trouble. Maybe you won't. But again, consider this. Would you rather have your friend potentially die over alcohol poisoning because you didn't want to call the police because you didn't want to get in trouble? Or would you rather call them and even if you did get in trouble then they live. And that's that's always the way I put it. For sure. And I would say that it's not normal for somebody to drink and then you not be able to wake them up or get some kind of response mm-hmm. out of them. 
they should be breathing. If you shake their shoulder or you can, like, rub your knuckles on their sternum, that's a medical thing, but, like, it's a good stimuli. If they don't groan or move, that's a bad thing, Mm -hmm. and they probably need help. If they're puking and there's blood, that's a bad thing. We're going to cover a couple more things in the health section of this, but there's not really a good solid line of when you need to call for help when somebody's been under the influence but in general they should be able to be woken up and blood should stay inside of their body in general and they should be breathing they should look approximately the way they're supposed to you know they shouldn't Mm -hmm. have swollen whatever or be very pale or whatever yeah and i even vomiting in general when alcohol has been consumed i know that's you know like the stock like oh they drink too much or vomiting they're fine technically they're not (laughs) like even something as common as that if you've consumed too much like that's a warning sign that something is not right and yep totally understand that's something you can take care of and doesn't always need extra attention but if it's excessive accompanied by other symptoms such as cold clammy unresponsive all that kind of stuff that's when maybe you should get someone else involved let's talk about personal safety when it comes to health and obviously i am not a licensed medical provider you're definitely not a licensed medical provider any of the information we're giving is for educational purposes and is not medical advice and if i'm going through later and i notice that something is incorrect that either of us have said I'm going to leave it in the show notes and I'll pop it up on the screen here so keep that in mind but also I do have at this point about seven eighths of a medical degree for dietetics (laughs) and we've both had a lot of experience in keeping an eye on sick people being sick we have good common sense that's where we're coming from here we are your mom friends Mm -hmm. So let's jump off with this. Kind of like what I was saying, like if someone has drank a lot, there's kind of like a, they should still be breathing, you should be able to wake them up, their blood should be inside of them. That's going to be true for a lot of other kind of, should I call for help, should I not, in terms of if you or someone else is really sick. And obviously talking about being sick right now with COVID is kind of funky, but yeah. I think most websites you will see in terms of if you're Googling, like, do I need to go to the doctor for this? Do I need to go to the hospital for this? The big warning signs that something is wrong is going to be a very high fever, very, very bad pain in a way that is not like pain you've experienced before, like trouble breathing, numbness or a droop, especially only on one side of your face. Chest pain is a big one. Swelling in places that should not be swelling. Mm Things like that. Anything else you could think of to add? Honestly, the, the one of the biggest things I have for this is just listen to your body. And I'm not saying, you know, every ache and pain, you'll be like, ah! Because, like, especially as you get older, you get more aches and pains. I mean, we're 24 and yeah. we, we have plenty of aches oh, and yeah. pains. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, drum corps. Um, <laughs> but... You should be in tune with your body enough to know when something is a bit more serious than not. And that's not to say, again, that it's like a go to the doctor thing. But sometimes it's just, I think I need to take care of myself a bit better in this regard. Or 
if I'm experiencing this specific thing, I need to, you know, maybe eat better or make sure that like I'm even just washing my hands before eating because that it's obviously gotten a lot better with the pandemic. But sometimes it's like so easy. You drive to a fast food place. Thanks for the food. You get home. Like it's just so easy to do that because, you know, you're like, I just want to eat my freaking food. So it's yeah, (laughs) for sure. I think it's really complicated to talk about what you should do in terms of your health and taking care of yourself because everyone has a different baseline. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm somebody who gets migraines. So me having a migraine headache, even if it's coming with nausea and vomiting, as I've I've told you about this before, Mm -hmm. like that's kind of still within my baseline. Even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's really not fun, even though I wish it wasn't happening, it's still within my normal. As opposed to if I were to have a headache and it were to be the worst headache I've ever had in my life. I can't move. I can't breathe because the pain is so bad. That is not my baseline. And that would probably be a sign for me to go get help versus someone who has migraines like that. Frequently, if that's you, I'm really, really sorry because that's not fun. But if it's outside of your baseline, that's when you can start paying attention to it. But if you have a baseline for pain or a baseline for how you're feeling, Pay attention to that and pay attention to what is outside of that. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to touch on this too because I've been going through a journey of mental health. I was recently, I'll say in air quotes, officially diagnosed with some anxiety and depression. And I have no problem talking about it just because it's I, I think it's something that should be talked about all the time, more normalized, all that kind of jazz. The same thing applies because... You should know yourself enough because you live with yourself every day. If there's been a consistent period of time where you have not felt yourself, maybe there's it's something that's worth reaching out for. Because I've had a friend even recently been like, John, I feel like for the past couple weeks, it's just felt like there's this fog and cloud hanging on me and clinging to me and slowing me down and making me unhappy. And when I'm distracted, I'm fine. But it's when I'm, I'm not that it just, it really just, and like sucks on all my energy out of me. Luckily, he's had the privilege enough to reach out to some counselors, get some therapy. And for some people, that's enough. For some people like me, um, I went through therapy with university, but I started having some weird anxiety stuff where my my heart rate was elevated, almost like a panic attack, but I wasn't experiencing one. But then a couple hours later, it, my heart rate was going like that for all day, for, excuse me, the entire day. That was not fun. That was crazy. And then I, like, had a really bad panic attack. So... Me knowing that that was abnormal made me go, okay, I've been going to therapy for quite a while now. I think I'm going to go to my doctor for this now because this is just a bit out of... So if my baseline is at a five and I'm experiencing lows with anxiety and depression, that makes my baseline maybe more of a two. I was experiencing more of like a zero or a negative one with these experiences. So that's why I said... I'm going to go to my my primary care provider. 
And I'm going to be honest, if you have a supportive therapist, they will support you in your decisions because they're there, they're working for you. And luckily, mine did. Thank goodness. So, and I got prescribed a medication and it's for, it's an antidepressant, but it works for both because they're actually so intertwined. And honestly, it's it's the, one of the best decisions I've ever made because I still have my ups and downs. Like recovery is such a big journey and medication is really only another tool. Like it doesn't fix anything. It's still up to you to fix it, but it is such a wonderful tool. And the reason I'm making such a big deal out of this, telling my story and doing all of this, is because your mental health is equally important to your physical health. There is not one that's over the other because you are both physical and you are also mental. You cannot have one without the other unless you're like a brain in a jar, which... You know, only sci-fi, right? <laughs> so, just, if you haven't started taking inventory of how you are mentally and how how all the gears turn in your head, I think that's something really worth checking out. And whether it's physical health or mental health, I would say, and this is something, I'll be honest, my therapist had to plant seeds for months before I finally was able to come to this conclusion by myself. You don't need to be suffering more than, air quotes, necessary. Like, if you have depression, it's just kind of going to be a thing that you're going to have days where you don't feel good. But you don't need to have a constant, like, weeks or months on end of feeling awful. You know, if you're somebody who has chronic pain, there are going to be days when you're in pain. But if you're constantly miserable and you're constantly suffering, you don't need to be suffering more than your baseline, like I said. And that is, and I'm going to tell this story on the podcast eventually when I'm ready, but I was really suffering before I started medication. And I had been doing the work on myself and doing therapy. And I was still miserable. And I was like frustrated with myself because I told myself like, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And it took months of my therapist just really gently planting seeds of saying, you know, there, you know, medication can help or, you know, sometimes people need medication. And she was so gentle about it. Mm-hmm. But like I started medication back earlier this or last year in 2020. I'm amazed at how different I feel. Like I'm kind of in awe actually. And it's awesome. And I actually like, like he was saying before with baseline, like, in my really, like, suffering, my baseline might have been, like, a 2 or a 3 out of 10. My baseline is probably a solid 5 or 6 consistently now. Mm-hmm. Even when stuff knocks me down, it's so much easier to bounce back up. Or, like, kind of like I was talking about before with migraines. I didn't even know I was having migraines for the longest time. And finally, I just casually mentioned it to my primary care provider. And there are medications to help with migraines so that you're not constantly miserable and knocked out for half the day when you have a migraine it's awesome and so I think that's my biggest message to you with your health is you don't have to be suffering more than necessary there are things that are out there to help and like John said these things are tools they're not inherently good or bad they're just tools so do you have any final thoughts to wrap up physical and mental health safety for college students Yeah, I'm just going to keep harping on the mental health thing. I I really want to stress these kinds of things don't make you broken. 
if you head into the realm of having an official diagnosis, I want you to realize that that doesn't change anything about you. It's just then a marker that officially you have this. I Like, you've always had it, but now there's stuff, you know, that can help you having these diagnoses. And just don't be afraid to reach out. Talk to someone. Talk to, if If you don't have anyone you can reach out to, see what services your university has if you go to university. Or just try to look up something that can help you. Because it's... I think everyone... I don't think there's an inherent purpose for us to be here on this planet. And everyone has their own journey to make. And I want everyone to have their full journey and not have it lost early because that's just, it's heartbreaking. And I would add, I think one of my last big tips for physical and mental health safety, and I'm pretty sure I've said this on the pod before at least once or twice, if you are worried about a friend or a roommate and you feel as though you need to tell a trusted adult, and we're 24, if I'm worried about someone, I'm going to tell another adult. Mm-hmm. Like, when I say trusted adult, it doesn't have to be a parent. It can be your RA. It can be another close friend. It can be a family member. It can be a professor. But if you are worried enough about somebody to tell another trusted adult or call for help or take them to receive medical care, their safety is ultimately a lot more important than whether or not they are mad at you for that. Because if you have good intentions, and I trust your gut, I trust that if you are truly worried about someone, then there is a reason that you are worried. If they are mad at you, that's okay. You know, they don't want to be friends with you anymore because you were worried about them and you decided you needed to do something about it. That's ultimately going to be okay. Because their safety is more important than your yeah. friendship. And that's a really hard sentence to be able to, like, believe, I promise. But it's true. Yeah. And just a quick story with that. As an RA, I was a mandatory reporter. So if anyone said anything about being suicidal, I had to call the police. And with a friend of mine, I did it both because of that and I was their friend. I was like, I need to call the police. And they were... They weren't the happiest at first, and it says actually happened multiple times now that I think about it. One was actually furious, but after everything had calmed down and they, they'd gotten some help that they needed, I got a message saying, thank you, I needed that. So, the anger, even if it never goes away, it's worth saving someone's life if they need it. So to wrap up this episode, I want to ask, we've talked about a lot of different safety tips. I mean, we've been talking for like almost an hour and a half at this point. Like, I don't know how long this episode is going to be, but it's (laughs) going to be great. If you're still here, thank you. (laughs) But if you had to pick just one safety tip for college students, what would it be? I think it would honestly boil down. Everything honestly could be boiled down to communication. And communicating is tough. It is a skill that you need to build.
But if you can communicate, you know, oh, I'm not feeling well, or I don't think you should do that, or is this an okay thing to do, or is this okay? If you can have these conversations with people that you trust, you will be able to make a more informed decision and hopefully in turn have a higher level of being able to be safe. Definitely. I think my biggest tip is to trust your gut. Because like I said before, college students can be kind of stupid. But we are smart. We are capable. We have valid thoughts and valid opinions. We have, depending on the situation, pretty darn good common sense. So if you're walking late at night and you feel kind of funny about the person who's kind of standing near your car, trust your gut. You know, if you have a friend who's just been behaving super weird lately and you really think you should tell somebody about it, trust your gut. You know, there is nothing wrong with being incorrect if you have good intentions. Mm -hmm. And honestly, college is a place to learn. And as a student, you're encouraged to make those mistakes and you're encouraged to learn and find your way. And so I would say definitely trust your gut. And then also, like I said before, be smart, be sensitive, don't be stupid. You're allowed to make mistakes, but don't let them be catastrophic mistakes. Yes, I would rather have you make tiny mistakes Mm -hmm. than catastrophic mistakes. And will you perhaps get a stern lecture from your mom friends, or maybe even your mom or dad? (laughs) Yes. But it's because we care. Yes. How do you think more college students can be better about looking out for each other? How can we be better mom friends? Because you and I are already kind of the mom friends in basically every group we end up in. But how do you think more college students can develop that? I think it just comes down to even just educating yourself on all this kinds of stuff. Like I talked about earlier about, you know, consuming the materials your RA might make for you. But it can even come down to researching because I'm the type of person where it's like, huh, I don't know that. I'm going to Google that literally right now so I can figure it out. So I just like I'm a, I have a plethora of useless knowledge. I'm great at trivia. But. I feel like kind of adopting that sense of, I want to know about this. I want to know how I can protect my friends, and more importantly, how can I protect myself? Because I I do genuinely believe that's something that you should know, especially if you're in college, you're kind of basically learning how to be an adult, even though no one really knows what they're doing, even if you're like 40 years old. But the more you can know, the better. I think my biggest tip for cultivating the inner mom friend in you is confidence in the fact that sometimes your opinion will be unpopular. You know, sometimes if you're the one who says, hey, our friend isn't waking up, I'm going to call 911 and get an ambulance here. Or, you know, I'm really worried about this weird person in our building, I'm going to call the RA. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is. Sometimes you're going to lose some social currency. Kind of like what we were saying. You might have a friend who's really mad at you for calling help for them. You might have friends that are really frustrated that you ruined their fun. I'm putting that in air quotes. But at the end of the day, like we said, 
your concern is with keeping people safe and there is nothing wrong with that, even if it comes at the expense and especially if it comes at the expense of people having a good time. Like, that is ultimately more important. I've said that like four times already, but it's okay to lose social currency to do the right thing. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode of Feed That Nation. Wow, it was a long one. John and I had so much fun talking about all of these safety tips for you, for college students, from us, your friendly neighborhood mom friends. Before we go, you guys know, as per usual, I do my food, my follow, and my fun here on Feed That Nation where I talk about a food that I've been really loving lately, a follow, someone I've been following who's been really uplifting me, and a fun, something fun I've been doing lately. And so to flip that a little bit, I'm going to be asking John for his food, his follow, and his fun this week. So take it away. All right. So my food is, they're called rusks. They're kind of like a cookie. They're from South Africa. And they're just basically more dense and like they have things such as like sunflower seeds, maybe even flax seeds. I honestly couldn't really tell you the health on them because my mom just gets them or makes them because they're South African. We're from South Africa. So they're they're just delicious. They're nice and dense and they actually make you feel like if all you want for breakfast is coffee and a couple of those, you actually feel full, which is good (laughs) i don't like feeling hungry after i've already eaten my follow has been this indie artist named dodi d-o-d-i-e she's from the uk and she's honestly produced some of the best music i've ever heard and ever connected with and just felt good listening to so really check her out she's releasing a new album soon she's just She's worked with Jacob Collier and done lots of stuff on her own. It's just, I really can't say any bad things. Uh, My fun, with a pandemic, there's not a whole lot to do, but I play quite a lot of video games, and I've actually been enjoying just playing the new World of Warcraft expansion called Shadowlands. Um, Way better than the last one, I'll tell you that much. But yeah, it's just been a blast. I play a human druid, so I I party with the power of nature and the stars. Yeah. Nice. I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. It's it's a wonderful conversation. It's really weird, honestly, reminiscing back to all that, because for me, it's kind of like I'm finally graduating, and it's like pandemic's kind of making that go by the wayside, but it's still just like, wow, four and a half years now. Wow. It's here we are. <laughs> Time to become a quote adult. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Oh yeah. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and throw me a thumbs up on this video. Go ahead and leave me a comment down below. What is it your favorite college student safety tip that we shared today? If you're listening to me on a podcast platform, go ahead and leave me a five-star rating and a review if you're able. Definitely go follow me on Instagram. I am at feed.nation. Until next time, my name is Natalie Nation. You've been listening to Feed That Nation, and we'll see you soon. Bye!